Hi, friends. The world got you down. Don't be sad. Listen to $2 Late Fee with Zach and Dustin. $2 Late Fee is the podcast that celebrates the best decade of entertainment, the 1980s. We pick a movie and soundtrack from our youth that we loved and see if it holds up today. We also interview your favorite celebrities from that era. All in the spirit of positivity and togetherness. Check us out at $2LateFee.com. I'm Carolina. And I'm Tessa. And together we are Femme Regard Podcast. Mmm, Femme. We are a show dedicated to educating and entertaining underdeveloped filmmakers and film enthusiasts alike. We love sharing our experiences as filmmakers, what we've learned and what we've gone through. And we love bringing on professional industry guests. We want our listeners to learn from the best and get an honest account of the biz. So come join the Femme Fam and give us a listen every Friday. Streaming on all the major podcast platforms, including YouTube and our website, femregard.com. And of course, the Geekscape Network. Everybody and welcome to another episode of Horror Movie Night. This week on Listener Submit It Month, we are talking about Howling New Moon R- Rising. Uh, this was, I'm positive, a first time watch for all three <laughs> of us. Uh, but I have to say, this is probably the title that has been submitted more years for Listener Submit It than almost any other title. People really? have really wanted us to watch this one. I don't think anyone wrote as fans, but <laughs> let's let's go to the email, the one that finally convinced us, and says, Hey guys, so today I posted on the Facebook page that a certain film from a fairly prolific franchise was now available for streaming and suggested it for a future episode. Reception was a little mixed, but <laughs> Scott didn't mince words. First Blood Harvest, now this. Someone needs to tie Damien up in the basement somewhere. How did he get to know what my favorite sex game was? Matt and Kyle, on the other hand, seemed receptive to the idea. Matt even said I should submit it as a request for Listener Submit It Month. So here I am, formally requesting the supposedly worst film in the Howling franchise and the only one to never get an official Blu-ray or DVD release, Howling, New Moon Rising. What can I say about this movie? Apparently, the writer and producer of 4 and 5 decided it was necessary to tie those films in part 6 together into a continuous timeline. So he cast himself as a mysterious stranger who shows up in a little redneck town where all the locals are played by actual locals from the town. Line dancing happens, as does a running joke that no one in town knows what country, who country music legend George Jones is. The film is an absolute glorious train wreck that must be seen to disbelieve. There is no logical reason for this film to even exist, but yet it does. And now you may have to watch it, although you may find yourselves questioning the wisdom of sweeping Blood Harvest aside for this one. <laughs> I'm, I'm expelled from the Facebook group, aren't I? Damien. 
P.S. If you have the time, check out the Joe Bob segments about the movie. They're on YouTube. It's pretty interesting. So, yeah, I mean, this movie is this movie is very strange. Um, I mean, it's an anomaly for sure. It's it's a I, I applaud them for trying to do the seemingly impossible task. Well, so of, the, yeah, go ahead of of tying three to four sequels that have nothing to do to each other into a continuous timeline is absolutely a baffling decision (laughs) to begin with. Ambitious. Ambitious beyond (laughs) belief. But really, holy Christ, this was, I mean, the one plus that I'll say about this movie is that it becomes background noise real fucking quick and easy. (laughs) So like, Mm -hmm. cause it's mostly like nothing. Like it's, it's, so little happens for the the runtime of this movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This I mean, is a you long hour two, and a half. Yeah. It was a long hour and a half. You have two distinct portions of this film. <laughs> you have Pioneer Town, and then you have uh, explanation of the Howling franchise. Two separate, <laughs> full-blown separate, and also a, a different subtitle as Mystery Woman. Is that correct? That was yeah. a subtitle that came up on, on the title card. After after the worst company logo in the history of company Oh, logos I was going to say up. that was the highlight of the whole movie for me was those two <laughs> little cartoon characters opening a door together. <laughs> Incredible, guys. It was fuck I wish it was a saloon door just to for, That would have made know, so much more match, sense though. It was the most modern looking thing that happened for an hour yes. and 30 minutes. Yes. <laughs> like, yes it was. God, yes, movie. it absolutely was. Um So much so know, I thought it was a Tubi commercial before the movie had started. Like I was like, oh, this is just another ad for something. Thank God it was on Prime with some subtitles with subtitles amazing uh <laughs> you watched and, it on prime how, i watched it on prime oh, with subtitles and without the subtitles i wouldn't it. have known the difference between dramatic country music and upbeat country music ah. for the two tracks that they oh. had as muzak the entire time i, I and the darkest line dancing fucking that's some uh, weird or, like it was the, it's somber line dancing mm. the mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. line that i the i did not write many notes about this movie but the one note that i wrote was that this movie soundtrack is an episode all of its own. Yes. <laughs> because Please don't make me do that, Matt. It is <laughs> so outrageous. The The moment that was the funniest to me with the soundtrack is a scene probably like 45 minutes into this movie where it keeps jumping between like guy kind of stalking down a girl and it'll go from like showing the girl walking, and it's just this plucky like bleep, 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 like music as she's walking around, and then it cuts to the guy, and it's just like like, like crazy shredding guitar, yes. but then immediately cuts back to the plink plunk plink plunk doo doo bop like as the girl's walking Kyle, around. Kyle, it's just me or is Matt? Is is his default? The cantina music from Star Wars. Yeah, he's missing a few notes. He's like half time. He's like half stepping it. He's sort of yeah. It's like uh, it's reggae it's the no no no. It's not the reggae version. It's the the royalty free version. Yeah, there's also right out the gate. There's certain there's certain tells when you're watching a movie that you're mm-hmm. watching a cheap bad movie, oh, and yeah. and one of the first How could you tell? one of the first tells for me is within the first maybe 30 seconds of this movie where the voiceover is real tin canny, like they just shot in whatever empty room they could oh, yeah. find. Oh, yes. <laughs> so, and I'm like, oh, I gotta... echoey voiceover, bad sign. Can we... <laughs> like... we got to rewind for a second here. Did I hear you say correctly that the writer-director 
of this movie was also the main character, the Australian dude? Yes. Correct. Oh, my God. Guys. Yeah. So yeah. he can't so act here's for the shit. Story, here's the story that I heard was that he <clears throat> was the producer of, I want to say it was part four. And Is that, that the, the free? No. What was four? No. That's Howling that's for the, the Original Nightmare. Oh, the original <laughs> nightmare. I didn't see that one. So, Thank goodness. <laughs> Um, and we're going to have the original a nightmare, dude. We're going to have a brief conversation. About, so the Howling for the original nightmare is essentially a remake of the first Howling movie that is supposed to be more true to the novel. Okay. Since the original movie deviates greatly, hence the original nightmare. Um, gotcha. And apparently there was a ton of butting heads with the director on that so much so that most of the cast on part four was like, yeah, the producer directed that movie, not the guy who's like listed as the director. So I think that that's what gave him the confidence that he could be a triple. I want to be as confident as I want. I want <laughs> to be as confident as this dude because he's got a mullet. He's got no good looks. He's got no acting mm-hmm. skills, and he no. literally just points cameras in places. That's his idea of direction. It's incredible, yeah. guys. And, and making sure that he can tell a joke in each scene is key. Yeah, uh, well, to yeah. push the story forward. This is the so he also had movie. the confidence to take on uh, not only that the, the Halleck <laughs> Four was a remake of the first movie based on the book, but this movie is based on all three Howling books by Gary Bradner. <laughs> it, like it says, based on the books Howling one, two, and three. And I'm gonna venture to guess this is probably far off from any of those <laughs> books. I can't imagine that there is an fucking iota of inspiration drawn from any of those books. No, that this. was that was what I when I was doing as I said I did a lot of research on this last night. Wow. Um, Why? So this is the first so one of the things was this is the first Howling sequel since Howling 2 Your Sister's a Werewolf to even attempt any type of continuity. <laughs> um also a very worthless fun fact but the only Howling sequel to include hillbillies. <laughs> it also is that said really all the true? hillbillies because I mean yeah. the freaks I would consider to be in the same town. It's literally is- within walking distance of six because, spoiler to anybody who doesn't know, but the killer in this is the one who got away from the people in six. Correct. So it's literally the next town over. So how is this the only one that has rednecks? The last one had rednecks. Oh, is it because they're carnies? <laughs> yeah, carnies aren't necessarily hillbillies. Also, all the hillbillies They are in use- my life. They used their actual names, so yes, most people are just has acting under real their name. real names. Yeah. Well, it's because no one is an actual actor in this movie, um, right. because the entire town is... So, from what I remember reading about this, the director, the writer-slash-director-slash-lead, apparently, loved Pioneer Town so much, he said it was, quote-unquote, the best town he'd ever been to or something. He said it was one of his favorite towns in the world. Yeah, it, like, mm. why? Ooh, Did I'm, he feeling, I'm, feeling get... all, I'm feeling ultra-connected to this dude because of that. I don't feel... I don't feel safe. I uh, I would lo- I, Pioneer Town seems like a place that I would say the same thing about. I don't know if I would necessarily write, direct, and star in my own movie of Pioneer Town. You'd be saying would that feel... because you are like saying it under duress because the the people of Pioneer Town are like, "Sander, we cut your balls off." I don't know. Like, <laughs> isn't this well, the favorite place you've ever been? <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. So here's here's the thing oh, I was trying Jesus, to find. Guys. So Clive Turner worked on the Howling franchise since Marsupials in 1987, mm-hmm. where he was an Great uncredited flight. location manager yeah he went on to write the original nightmare and the rebirth 
Uh, he was determined to make a seventh film that connected all of the unrelated Howling films together into a singular timeline. His Bold. original plan was to make a film that was fully footage from the other movies to That's accomplish right. the task with as little money as possible, but ultimately decided against this, although some footage from the other movies exist in the limited extended cut of the film. Yeah, because like, there was there was footage in the version that I saw, but there was far less than I think I expected. It's a little bit in the castle, right? Attempt to try. I was, was prepared for it to be a clip show. Yeah. <laughs> like, I yeah. think that it would have been and, better if it was a clip show, but... No, it, yeah, it was no not kidding. a clip show. <laughs> no kidding. My my ears heard something, Kyle. Oh, wait, what was that? Yeah, so I I I was not drinking last the last couple episodes. I'm still in. I I I'm not going out of my way, and I didn't have enough time today. But I did have a ranch water in my fridge, uh, and because we were on Pioneer Town, it seemed wait, very ranch like. What is ranch water? Uh, uh, so it's basically um, water. Uh, it's <laughs> water. Um, no, it's a. It's basically a hard seltzer, but made with agave. But you can't call it tequila seltzer. Like you can't call it like it's a tequila, tequila based, but you can't call it tequila. So it's agave based. It's, okay, it's good. It's fine. Sorry, it's when, very nice for this hot ass basement. That, that's why Kyle. Uh, for those who are not watching this at home, Kyle is yes. topless. I am. It, the Zen, the Zencaster format changed, and it took the, my shirt with it. <laughs> I wonder how much he's wearing below the belt too. We won't know. It's no, just I think this be is all your... we're getting. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, no, that's how much does a Patreon go up to? <laughs> Sixty nine dollars <laughs> will get you the full Monty, yeah, everybody. <laughs> but here's the thing: when you say ranch water, my Ohio, you know, Midwest mind does not go to agave seltzer. No. It no, goes no, to no. the creamy celery seed goodness that is Hidden Valley, which mm. I wish that the valley that this was filmed in had stayed hidden because <laughs> this was the worst shit that we've watched in such a long time. I was watching this in mental anguish, and mm -hmm. I just – you know how when um, the women who were – like the, the British women – during the British Empire, just say um, to their to their female married friends, you know, like it, when when discussing what is now spousal rape, they'd be like, just lay back and think of the empire. That's what I was mm. thinking as I was watching this. Um, I was just laying back and I was thinking about the horror movie night empire because yes. they want the empire wants us to suffer. They yes. want the pain. It's, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and they yeah. got and you know it this what? week. I uh, I love it. I love every bit of it. <laughs> <laughs> How many Doritos did you have with this? <laughs> you know what, dude? I think I was sober for this, or like uh, on an empty stomach. Empty stomach. <laughs> yeah, that's the know. word we're yeah, that's the that term works. we're going for, guys. Um, I don't think I can't. Well, I can't remember. So mm, that so doesn't bode well for the answer Doritos. there, bud. But, but, no, but on my timeline of things, I've 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 been I've been holding off. So there's potential I watch this straight. But when I when I discuss my double feature, you'll see why I enjoy stuff like this. I think. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I kind of agree with Scott that like a clip show would have been better than what we got because like we've done the freaks. Which mm -hmm. I mean, until I had seen this one, the absolute worst of the how that the it was pretty Howling bad. Franchise but it, there was more action. This is just yeah. talking and bad country music. But like part four, I remember not hating, and part five feels like Scott would like it despite 
the fact that it's not good because it's a period piece inside of a castle. They come up with this insane logic that it takes a werewolf, was it Three. seven days or 30 days? 30, I believe. To uh, fully become a werewolf. I, maybe it's seven. It trial matter. period? There, yeah. yeah, it's like a try before you buy kind of thing. And And I don't like that. There are a no. lot of things I don't like about this movie, but that's the thing I like the least because I like new and interesting werewolf lore specifically for a movie, but that is whatever it was was so asinine. I just could not yeah, well, handle it. Well, my my point that I was trying to make was like even the worst of the Howling sequels for the most part, you can usually mine like 15 to 20 good minutes <laughs> out of it. So if you just took the 15 or 20 good minutes mm-hmm. of those three movies and then just kind of like connective tissued just the director being interviewed by a priest and a police officer to try to help them solve this mystery. And it's like, well, way back in the 1700s. And then it's like 20 minutes of like the best moments of part five like you know like you could you it wouldn't be a movie that i think we would ever talk about because i think we've pretty much avoided clip show movies it's why we'll Mm. probably never really do uh silent night deadly night part two because like sadly there's like 20 minutes of new movie in that but it would have made this a cheaper b it probably would have flowed a hell of a lot better because there is there are few movies I have watched in my time that feels more like they are trying to pad out to that full <laughs> 90 minutes than than the Howling New Moon Rising, a movie where I don't believe we even see an actual werewolf for more than 2 minutes in the movie. And oh, it that's might be the minutes. old clips yeah. of the other werewolves. No, no, you I see don't... the you see the actual killer transform with very bad CGI in the last like 30 seconds. I happens. think you see her for 30 seconds and then she gets killed. It's like immediate kill. It's I don't know why so... they went through all the trouble of making the costume because somebody did actually get morphed into a costume, but it's a close-up, yeah. so it's like they just did the face and then they have it jump through a window and it looks so shoddy and then it gets killed by the entire town and then everybody goes back to the saloon and has an apology show yeah. for the director. Yeah, which is no, wild. It, it may have just ended with them lifting him up on their shoulders and hip, hip, him hooray. Right the it's exactly what Matt wants when he does weird ass movie night. One thousand percent. All right, so so I can answer your question on the werewolf actually, because this was an IMDb fact that two out of two people found interesting. Ooh, uh, it maybe said Clive three Turner out of two. and kind of same. Clive Turner and Roger Neal differed on the look of the werewolf. Turner wanted the werewolf to resemble the one from Howling for the original Nightmare mm-hmm. that Steve Johnson had designed, while Neal wanted it to look completely different. An FX team tried to please both of them by finding a middle ground, which ended up pleasing neither of them, before a completely new original design of their own was designed that retained more of the look of the werewolves from the original Howling movie. Um, but I think because they could not find something they were happy with, that's why we get less than 30 seconds of actually seeing it at that point. They're just And like, then they it. choose to make it look like the first Howling movie, yeah. <laughs> the, our, the, uh, the second best one after yeah. Howling 2. Yeah. Like, it's clearly, it's insane. <laughs> Insane. It's insane. Uh, that sentence tells me Kyle has not seen the marsupials. Oh no, I, uh, I actually no, I actually love the marsupials. marsupials I said it for the joke. Great. Marsupials is truly my favorite. But I think that if we're really talking about it's true, the one I watch most. <laughs> the true werewolf form needs six to eight nipples, and that's yep. why Howling Two, your sister is a werewolf, 
is more of a documentary than anything else. <laughs> <laughs> it's a nature documentary because you get to see werewolves fuck. Uh, you know, it's so funny that you said that the, your least favorite part, Scott, was was that part about the lore. Because my least favorite part was when they sang about the heart of Texas using their pants zippers. Uh, so you and I, we, you know, we must have just missed out. On our least well, see, the thing parts, is that that's that's, that's canon in the 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 howling franchise because in howling 2 your sister's a werewolf there's the aggressive like zipping unzipping that the new waver punk guys do in like an abandoned cement factory before they get ripped apart by a werewolf so you're actually so you're saying that this movie is brilliant and ties together not just the ones that it expected to tie together but also bringing in howling one with the effects Howling 2 with the zippers, <laughs> and Howling 3 with the marsupials, like with the Australians. It's yeah, this, perfect. It's brilliant. This is what every director dreams of doing with any franchise when Getting they're trying to, to reboot seventh it. seventh film <laughs> tying them all together. <laughs> this is legit. Like I feel like I have seen at least four different emails over the seven years that we've been doing this podcast of people saying like, You've got to watch Howling New Moon Rising. It is the worst film I've ever seen. Yeah, like, and that's what it says on IM or uh, Wikipedia too. It's like it it was, you know, universally panned, and then somehow gained a cult status with people saying that it is quote so bad it's good. It's not. It's just no, bad. No, like so bad it's good is serial insane insane clown killer. That's that's troll too. That's. Birdemic, even to a certain extent. Sure, but yeah, like, that's that's the kind of shit that I want from a so bad it's good, where you can laugh. And this is just so painfully boring. This is so bad. Kyle enjoys it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, as opposed to so I, bad it's good. Hi, friends. The world got you down. Don't be sad. Listen to Two Dollar Late Fee with Zach and Dustin. Two Dollar Late Fee is the podcast that celebrates the best decade of entertainment, the 1980s. We pick a movie and soundtrack from our youth that we loved and see if it holds up today. We also interview your favorite celebrities from that era. All in the spirit of positivity and togetherness. Check us out at twodollarlatefee.com. Listeners, I'm Carolina. And I'm Tessa. And together we are Femme Regard Podcast. Mmm, Femme. We are a show dedicated to educating and entertaining underdeveloped filmmakers and film enthusiasts alike. We love sharing our experiences as filmmakers, what we've learned and what we've gone through. And we love bringing on professional industry guests. We want our listeners to learn from the best and get an honest account of the biz. So come join the FemFam and give us a listen every Friday. Streaming on all the major podcast platforms, including YouTube and our website, femregard.com. And of course, the Geekscape Network. Hey, do you have an idea for a podcast but don't know where to start? Or do you have an already existing podcast that you want to take to the next level? Well, check out weknowpodcasting.com. From concept development to theme music to editing to logos, WeKnowPodcasting.com is a one-stop shop for all things pod. Don't hesitate to hit us up. We're very nice. Kyle, how about you tell us what your double feature is on oh, this? Because yes. I have never struggled more for a double feature on a movie. I was perplexed. Mm -hmm. Really? It was hard. I was hard. It was hard for <laughs> the first half of the movie, but it clicked for me that I would choose a movie called Champagne and Bullets slash Get Even slash Road to Rage or Road to Ruin or whatever the third title is. And that is also 
if anybody's not seen Champagne and Bullets, it, it has a honky tonk scene, okay. uh, which is great. It also has a writer, director, lead star who's about the same age as Homeboy here. Okay. Uh, and who's probably a worse actor. Vinegar Syndrome put it out, uh, and it has easily become one of my favorite. I mean, I've talked about Neil Breen on the show before. I've talked about, uh, I mean, obviously we've we've talked about Tommy Wiseau in the room just by nature of the beast, but like, I have an affinity for those types of movies that are really full like passion project doesn't even describe it it is like a delusion i love delusion yeah, you sure do um and and that would be my pairing it's fun it's much more fun it's actiony it's way more over the top and gratuitous it's a lot more fun but it has the similar vibe so that would be my double feature Fair. all right I'm just going to throw out one that I think is obvious. I'm not going to expand on it too much. This movie was shot in 1995, but had the picture and camera stock quality of something shot in 1973. So you might as well just watch some werewolf movie from 1973 called Werewolves on Wheels. Ooh, yes. man. <laughs> That's so nice. thematically perfect, but also so punishing. Oh, yeah. the worst. The and worst evening. My double feature is almost a triple feature with yours, Matt, because it has witches Mm -hmm. And then you get the witches and you get the werewolves and you get the pale door from 2020. Did either of you guys see this movie? No. No. So it's a Western horror. My first inclination was to go with priest, but I'm not that insane. Um, So (laughs) instead of werewolf, uh, instead of vampires in the desert, I went with witches in the desert in a pioneer town. The pale door is fun. It's very, very dumb, but I think that it also, knows it and it just has a good time with it um i would definitely do where howling seven and then pale door because pale door at least well maybe you do pale door first and then fall asleep to howling seven depends on how many people are at your party you know yeah fair enough all right kyle is there anything you watched read listened to etc that you want to talk about on the topic of vinegar syndrome which i would just get on anyway <laughs> yeah. um i watched a. Uh, uh, I watched a movie called Sister Sister by Bill Condon, who mm-hmm. ended up directing uh, Kinsey, and he went on to direct a, a bunch of really solid. Was that a TV films. show, Kinsey? Uh, no, Kinsey was um, Liam Neeson as uh, the first name escapes me, but as Kindy the Kinsey um, the, the the sex the doc, sexuality, right? yeah. yeah, the sex. I thought that was a TV right, show, right. but maybe I'm um, just confusing. They it. did master. They did masters and masters of sex. Uh, oh yeah, that's what I'm thinking of. Okay. Right, which was which is based on Masters and then uh, who worked under Kinsey, if I remember my uh, don't tell Carly, I can't remember. <laughs> um, but uh, and it was just like it was just this gothic tale that oh he ended up he ended up directing uh, Twilight Saga, Breaking Dawn, and Beauty and the Be- the live action Beauty mm. and the Beast, um, and Dreamgirls. So like he's gone on to do Ooh, like Dreamgirls huge stuff. So but good. in '87 he directed Sister Sister, which was this sort of like southern gothic thriller that was just like i don't know i i was in and out of it but it was just a beautiful thing like anytime i turned back to look at it it was just beautiful to look at and i just like it just made me long for that sort of type of filmmaking that is like so environmentally focused like not set pieces set pieces but like the whole like it's you know it's a big southern gothic mansion and they make the outside of it feel that way. Like it just, it was just a beautiful, beautiful movie. And like the acting was really good and like a fun story, but just a, a thrill to watch and look at. And that was a fun one for me to, that I watched recently. Um, 
would be that. Who? Oh, Eric Stoltz is in it. Jennifer Jason Lee, like a young Jennifer Ooh. Jason Lee, is in it. Um, really solid actors uh, too. And Eric Stoltz has never looked more like Marty McFly than <laughs> right here in this film, even Back to the Future aside. So, uh, yeah, it was it was good. Perfect, Matt. Uh, so. I don't think I talked about this yet, but uh, a show that I have talked about in the past had a third season drop on Netflix, and that is Never Have I Ever. Uh, Just continue to love this show. It's just charming and cute and funny and all of the the things you want from a a quirky teen comedy (laughs) drama little sitcom. You know, Mindy Kaling created the show. It's I think it's at least partially autobiographical of her experiences being a, uh, an Indian kid in a mostly like white high school. But what I really love about the show is that it isn't about the culture shock of being the only Indian kid in a school so much as it's the co- it's a show about being being a kid who is an American living with parents who came here from somewhere else and the clash of like what your expectations are versus like what their traditional expectations Mm -hmm. are and like trying to find yourself in that middle ground where like you you're appeasing both your cultural background and like how you've grown up and the people that you've grown up with and the ideals that you've been given from where your life is um so it's it's definitely mostly funny and quirky and then there's always those one or two moments that are just yep. so sugary sweet that they get you right in the in the heart just a little bit. Well, that it wouldn't be a show you love if it didn't have those. If it didn't have that, correct. If you're not crying, you're not watching. I don't know. <laughs> Flip side is like it doesn't take much to make Matt Kelly cry anyway. <laughs> sure, like, sure. I don't like Friends that much as a show, and I teared up watching an episode of that today. <laughs> so, no, I feel like that's a you. that's a you commentary. Not, yeah. I'm not yeah. touching it. <laughs> <laughs> I watched Glorious on Shudder. This is coming out a couple weeks after it dropped, um, probably about a month even. Uh, but man, Kyle, did you watch it yet? Not yet. Oh, I you got it. I feel I like, yeah. well, I think both of you guys are going to love it. I loved it because it felt like a stage play. I think that there's, well, so it's, the all I need to say it's is Lovecraftian glory hole. That's the basic concept. What I know about it so far is just the fact that it was directed and written by Rebecca McKendry and her husband, Dave, who were both on the podcast. Rebecca didn't write any of it, as far as I know. I believe that Dave co-wrote it with the original writer who wrote the story. Rebecca directed it. Okay, and then Becca directed it. Yeah. But they've been on the show. They talked about society with us. And Mm -hmm. in order to promote it on Rebecca's horror podcast that she does... With Elric, they did a whole episode of their favorite cosmic horror movie. So I was like, okay, it's a cosmic horror movie. Got it. (laughs) I mean, it's really not. And it's also not raunchy. And it's not... It's just something all its own. It it takes from so many places. And I love that about it. Because you would think that a guy talking to an elder god, more or less, in a bathroom stall at a rest stop would not be able to be would not fill 100 and uh would not fill 90 minutes for someone like me but i was never bored um 
I I mean I love J.K. Simmons. He can do no wrong. I've never seen him in anything that I don't love. So and he's just a disembodied voice in a toilet stall. It's amazing. I think that the writing's great. I think that the the acting's great. I really think that the cinematography makes it cool. But as I was watching it, it really felt like I could see this as a stage play, and it could yeah. be done in such a cool way. Like, I mean, I don't know if it would be quite as compelling without. But, some special effects but I, I mean like it doesn't need the special effects is what makes it so cool yeah i mean it's interesting because you think about their previous movie it's tied around an anthology based on people seeing like a black box community mm-hmm. stage play yes yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh she comes i know she comes from a theater background so it's like she's really using those roots like well, i mean even i mean i guess you know we all we all come from a theater background <laughs> but i think that no she actually like she she like directed and was in it and like mm-hmm. has that in her blood and it's uh it's that's awesome to hear uh well, she... i've been i've been eager to see it i've i liked all the creatures were stirring and it... it's in my opinion it's it looks better it is yeah produced way better i, I, I think it. it's it's a huge step up i mean yeah. right and I felt and like it, it was practice for this in yeah a lot of ways, yeah and know, i like... i love that about i mean i love to see the progression of people that we are at least even tertiarily related to or connected to i love to see the progression i love to see more money being funneled into their projects but at the same time i feel like all the creatures were stirring feels indie and this feels like just on the cusp of not being indie anymore like the only thing indie about it is the use of cgi i mean that's it in my opinion it's really a very well done movie beautiful thing about independent film particularly horror right now is that it's it's coming together so that those products aren't separate in our eyes a lot mm-hmm. of ways yeah like, I mean, and that's we, great i think and i think shutter really helps lead the charge of that i think horror mm-hmm. always does that for mm-hmm. all film like all filmmaking ever right that's yeah. why we talk about it <laughs> fucking constantly <Yeah. laughs> but it always is such a trailblazer for blurring those lines and allowing creativity to shine through and not budget. And I think that that's going to help. And Shudder, obviously, is so helping that lead the charge. Shudder has had a lot of really good Shudder originals or Shudder exclusives or whatever you want to call them. Um, this is a big year for Shudder, and I feel like it shows that they have created a business model yeah. that is successful for them and therefore they can fund these projects and that's so yeah. great because they're kind of the 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 direct line between mm-hmm. very small filmmakers and like Blumhouse. I mean maybe not Blumhouse, right. but you know what I'm saying is like something Absolutely. it's very the only uh, thing very that bums, audiences. Yeah. The thing that bums me out though and I think we've talked about this on the show before but it I think horror more than almost any other genre kind of gets the short end of the stick with this. And I know that like I am probably the highest on the physical media collector scale and then Kyle and then Scott, but, but, but there's this element I think that bums me out where it's like shutter should also be partnering up with scream factory or vinegar syndrome or, or something to give these films a, a shelf life. Because I feel like the downside, the positive is that there's this beautiful tapestry of independent horror that like a month after the thing has been released, we are so 
in flux with other digital horror that that stuff just kind of gets pushed out of your memory and pushed out of your like direct line of view and you don't think about it because there's like so much other stuff coming in where a DVD on your shelf you're going to walk past it a bunch of times and eventually be like man I haven't watched that in a bit and you're going to take it out and like the example I use is like I've said it a million times no one even really remembers that Vast of Night existed and that's such a travesty to me because it is such a masterpiece of a film and then you look at something like Hulu has Prey and I guarantee that Prey will get a Blu-ray release that will be like in Walmarts or something but at a certain yeah, point because it's tied I, to the I Predator agree, franchise. But as, yes, as like, exact they, they have I, I really think that they're you have a great point but my, my beef is with the examples because Prey is an existing franchise. successful franchise that has that's fucking what 35 40 years old the, at this yeah, point it's, but i guess my point is being more so like yes should should shutter release their own dvds and try to get them in the stores like no absolutely not but like if you're doing the venn diagram of people who buy physical media and people mm, who yeah. like horror movies that is the biggest overlap so like it's a collector's market specifically within horror so it's like if you've got a film that's doing pretty well on shutter you should already be having that conversation I would rather take any Shutter exclusive than half of the IFC garbage that Shout Factory oh, yeah. <laughs> puts but out. But it's on also Blu-ray. because you're they're absolutely... playing a different game. You yeah. know, I really, I, I, I get what you're saying, and I, I do agree. I just, I don't know. Like, so for me, yeah, I've watched a bunch of of Shutter exclusives or Shutter originals um, this year, but. And I mean, I probably couldn't tell you off the top of my head which ones I like the best, but I think that Hellbenders and Glorious are the two that I would rewatch. Oh, I mean, Hellbender is so good, and but, yeah. and I feel like the Adams Family is gonna. I I feel like the the good and bad about a Shutter original is and and having that bigger platform for a much smaller mu- movie like Glorious and specifically Hellbenders because Hellbenders is like very very small it's way smaller than glorious in my opinion um but i think it's a better movie i think that hellbenders is the best horror movie i've seen all year what i think is that the adams family is going to go to cons kind of like how chris la martina is taking his wnuf sequel to cons um he's doing film festivals obviously kyle is doing film festivals with his short um i think that it sucks that you're not going to be able to get your physical media out there in a walmart in a target but yeah. mail order is a thing, and mm-hmm. I also think that cons are a thing. And yeah. the, 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 the great thing for small production houses, if you want to call them that, or, you know, like production groups, is that they don't have to give up their rights for distribution, and then they yeah. get to have a better yeah. grasp on the way that their media is consumed. I mean, yeah, they gave up rights for digital to be, have it on Shutter. For these examples, yeah. but because I feel like for if physical, you like any... you're gonna be if you make if they if they run do a five thousand disc run of Hellbenders and they do twenty cons and they sell their five thousand copies of them for twenty five bucks a pop, they're probably gonna be keeping twenty dollars from each of those, yeah, and like, or more. No, and that's, sure, that's and, awesome. And I mean, the question could go to Kyle because he's the director of the three mm-hmm. of us, but I feel like any director, even one who fully buys into the all digital model. Like you're gonna want a copy of your movie on a DVD. Like, yeah. You're, well, like, you know that's that's the that's the interesting thing that you bat that I would imagine filmmakers battle 
I mean, because it's the same thing. It's like I want to see it in a theater. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. But like, what does that what does that look like now? Is it it's a film it's a film festival, but that's a select audience. True. It's a it's a it's a limited release on a disc. That's a limited audience. It's like, it, but at the same time, there's pride, there's nostalgia, there's mm-hmm. a lot of factors, <laughs> good and bad, that are involved in it. Like, I totally agree. I mean, like when we did Film Freaks and went out we did a independent run of discs and when they're gone, they're gone. Mm-hmm. I look at what vinegar syndrome does with their partner labels. And it's like, Oh, if shutter even just gives the filmmakers an option to opt into a partner label, d- physical release, you know, limit it to 2000 copies or whatever, and just have it out there. It's like, there's my, my gear start turning, but then at the same time, I realize that I'm sitting on, two full boxes of film freaks dvds that are they gonna move i don't know i'm gonna bring them to creature feature weekend we'll <laughs> yeah. see but, you know but like you sit you it, it, it's a it's a crapshoot it's a total crapshoot i um, just get i get nervous about and i know that this is probably the amount of people who are nervous about this i won't say that i'm the only one but i realize that i am in a very small percentile right but it's like you hear the reports of like netflix's stock just plummeting and like mm-hmm. subscribers leaving in mass right mm-hmm. and eventually that means that netflix is going to one day probably have to close up shop and sell their assets or whatever and while there is probably going to be someone who wants to buy the rights to say a stranger things to put on their streaming site there are also plenty of really great shows that maybe got canceled before their time that just vanish you know what What's i mean like happen to your vanessa hudgens trilogy yeah uh, no those will be gone forever Night's tale or whatever. yeah well, my christmas Night's my tale. christmas like the the cinematics netflix christmas universe will be destroyed <laughs> but like even something like i'd hate to say it we're but, like, talking about this will somebody pick up glow for a different streaming site right. or will glow just disappear forever you know what I mean? Like that's that's the stuff where like having a DVD does mm-hmm. keep that alive in some way that like having it strictly only available digitally, it can die and disappear. And it's no different than when like there was a big ass fire in the 30s and just thousands of movies right. are gone forever. Right. <laughs> like, right. Right. <laughs> so right. that stuff like legitimately worries me. And that, like not I'm like now I collect DVDs because it's a noble cause. Like no, I collect DVDs because I fucking want DVDs. Yeah. But <laughs> right. like right. and right. ketchup right. sandwiches. <laughs> but it's like the flip side is like you do feel a slight pinch of entitlement when like Something like, oh, Friends is getting pulled off of Netflix. And everyone's like, put my friends. And I'm like, my friends are right over there on the shelf under F. Yes. <laughs> right. Right. I don't right. give a fuck where they're at because I got right. them. Like, Unfortunately, yeah. yeah. Whenever that meme comes up about uh, a dude in front of his DVD collection, I'm just like, ugh, <laughs> yeah, but I get it. Like, it's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I know. The I told you so doesn't feel that good anymore. <laughs> All right. Well. Uh, as always, we barely talked. Well, we, we gave twenty solid minutes. So it got the twenty it. minutes of clip footage that it deserved. Yeah, uh, from from us. <laughs> and then we got heavy on some on some talk. Yeah. But all right, yeah. we will be back. Dread. <laughs> we'll be back next week with the final episode of the listener submitted month saga. Stay tuned. <laughs>
friends. The world got you down. Don't be sad. Listen to $2 Late Fee with Zach and Dustin. $2 Late Fee is the podcast that celebrates the best decade of entertainment, the 1980s. We pick a movie and soundtrack from our youth that we loved and see if it holds up today. We also interview your favorite celebrities from that era. All in the spirit of positivity and togetherness. Check us out at $2LateFee.com. Listeners, I'm Carolina. And I'm Tessa. And together we are Femme Regard Podcast. Mmm, Femme. We are a show dedicated to educating and entertaining underdeveloped filmmakers and film enthusiasts alike. We love sharing our experiences as filmmakers, what we've learned and what we've gone through. And we love bringing on professional industry guests. We want our listeners to learn from the best and get an honest account of the biz. So come join the Fem Fam and give us a listen every Friday. Streaming on all the major podcast platforms, including YouTube and our website, femregard.com. And of course, the Geekscape Network. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. 